Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John's Gospel in the ninth chapter as we will continue our journey in the Gospel of John. And we will begin today in looking at a story in the first part of chapter 9, a story that many of you think that you're familiar with and are somewhat familiar with. We're going to be looking at the story in John chapter 9 of a blind beggar who is healed by Jesus Christ. In a message entitled, He Came Home Seeing. Jesus heals a blind beggar. That blind beggar who was, as we will see, born at birth, completely blind, will walk away this day after encountering Christ, seeing for the very first time. He will go home for the first time, and on his way home, he will see every person that he passes, every step that he takes, every street sign. And for the first time, he will go home seeing. What a great miracle this is. And I want us to, as we look at this miracle, see beyond the miracle this morning. I want us to see beyond the actual tangible miracle that Jesus does. It's easy for Jesus to do that. That's commonplace for God. And I want us to see that he is teaching us many lessons here. And I want us to get those lessons. And I don't want us to forget those lessons. Because contrary to the beliefs of many of the charismatic teachers and and so-called miracle workers of today, Jesus' miracles were not done for the sake of just wowing or entertaining an audience. They weren't done for simple entertainment. They weren't just some casual or flippant show of His power to impress those who were watching Him. I want us to see today that these miracles that Jesus did, all of them, they had specific God-ordained reason and purpose. These were real and they were tangible miracles, and I don't want you to forget that. That blind man was never blind again. But I can assure you of this, if he wasn't healed of his spiritual blindness, he would still die and go to hell physically seeing. These are real miracles. Real miracles performed under the real power of God. Proving that Jesus truly is the Lord and Savior that He claimed to be. These miracles had a specific purpose. These encounters were not by accident. They were, as we are going to see, arranged by the will of God in eternity past so that Jesus the Christ would be validated as the true Lord and Savior, the coming one, the one who came to bring salvation and forgiveness of sin. So today we're going to examine Jesus as He heals this blind beggar. I don't want us to get caught up in just the miracle. Or to lose sight of the lesson just because of the miracle. In fact, Jesus, when He was on this earth, said this, He said, a wicked and perverse generation seeks after signs, miracles, and wonders. When we quote this, oftentimes the critics say, well, pastor, does that mean that you don't believe in miracles and wonders? Absolutely not. I believe that God can do as He chooses, when He chooses, however He chooses. He is still a miracle-working God. But I will tell you this, that the Lord Himself said, don't seek after these things. That's a sign of a wicked and perverse generation. And so as we look at this miracle, I don't want you to seek after the miracle. But I want you to see the lesson that is contained and surrounds this miracle to remember, as John has reminded us in John chapter 20, verse 31, that these are written. What? These signs. The things that Jesus did. John says in 20, verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. You can leave here today totally 
mesmerized by the fact that Jesus healed a man who was born blind. You can leave here today seeing that miracle, seeing the purpose of that miracle, and believing that Jesus Christ is exactly who He says that He is, exactly who the Word of God confirms that He is, and you can surrender to Him as Lord and Savior today and be healed of all of your sin and all of your spiritual blindness. So as we open our Bibles, I want us to read this text as we always do, and then I want us to break John chapter 9, verses 1-12 through 12 down as we see the teachings that are contained in the lesson of Jesus healing this blind beggar. Verse 1, it says this, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. It's very important that we see that in Scripture. He was blind from birth. There was no accident that caused this. This was not anything that happened later on in life. This was a birth defect. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples of Jesus' day had a confused idea about this because of the teaching of the time. They believed that if anybody was stricken with any condition, it must be that they had sin in their life or that somebody who was close to them had sin in their life. We see this relived and revived in the so-called charismatic movement of today. That if something happens in your life, something trying or something that requires you to go through some type of suffering, that it must be that you have sin in your life. Jesus' followers had this same idea in their mind. However, they were dreadfully wrong. Jesus says in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's not talking about general sin. We know that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no not one. We understand that from Scripture. We know that it's not talking about sin in general. Jesus is saying there isn't a specific sin that these people did, the blind man or his parents, that caused him to be sin. Now we know in all reality he's blind because sin entered into the earth through Adam. But he's saying it's not their specific sin that has caused this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. He was talking about the night, the fact that Jesus was going to be crucified and darkness was going to come upon all the earth. And we know that Jesus was to be crucified and he was to be buried and that three days later he would raise from the grave. But we know this this was a dark time, especially in the life of the church, because here they were without the promised Holy Spirit, without the hope and the power that the Holy Spirit would bring to them at Pentecost. And Jesus says, but while I'm here, while I'm here, I'm in the world, and I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. You can chuckle there if you wish. It's a funny scenario, isn't it? Jesus spitting upon the ground, mixing it together with the dust, and wiping it in the eyes of a blind man. Isn't it interesting that the same dust of the earth is the same that he used to heal the blind man, is the same dust that he created Adam with. He knows exactly what he's doing. He who gave life to man to begin with surely is able to restore the sight of the blind. Go ahead, he told him, verse 7, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. Oftentimes when we get to the parentheses in the text, we don't pay a lot of attention to those. Pay close attention to those. These are not there by accident. This is the pool of Siloam. That pool had been named Siloam. It was already called sent because before the foundations of the earth, God knew that he would send this blind beggar to the pool of Siloam where he would be healed in accordance to what Jesus had told him. It is in the same pool that we just saw in previous lessons that they would have drawn the water during the Feast of Tabernacles to which Jesus would have pointed to the water, that ceremonial water, and said, I am the living water. He sends him to the pool of Siloam to wash his face, to wash his eyes. And he went and he washed. It says this, underline this in your Bible. What a statement. And came home seeing. Came home seeing. For the very first time, 
He walked into his own home, seeing the things that were in his own home, to see his door for the first time, to see his family for the first time, to see the furniture inside of his home for the first time. For the first time in this man's life, he came home seeing. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. And others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Isn't it interesting that there are always critics? Oh, no, I don't think that's really him. It couldn't be that God would heal that blind beggar. He was worthless. Surely God would have done something in the life of someone who was worthy. Yet others believed, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked in verse 10. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud (laughs) and put it on my eyes. Can you imagine that for a moment? How did this happen? He said, the man that they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam to wash. So, I went and washed. Lesson for us, when Jesus tells you to do something, no matter how crazy it might sound, do it. So I went and washed. And then, I could see. Verse 12, of course, they want to see another sign, as always. Where is this man? They asked him. And he said, I don't know. Isn't it interesting that Jesus just, again, disappears? No fanfare. No signing of autographs. Not drawing a crowd to ooh and to awe over what he had just done. He simply told the man, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam and you will be healed. The man did it and then it was over. But what I want us to do today is I don't want us to ooh and awe for very long. Of course, it is easy to ooh and to awe at a miracle. But there is so much more to this text that I do not want you to miss. In fact, as a pastor, I would do you an injustice if I just highlighted the miracle and said, okay, let's pray and depart. Because he is going to teach his disciples. He's going to teach this blind man. He's going to teach those people who the blind man who was healed came in contact with afterward. He's going to teach everyone who was there in this crowd who saw this and everyone who has ever heard about it, including us who are hearing about it today, 2,000 years later. Jesus had a reason for encountering this blind beggar. You say, well, yeah, duh, pastor, obviously. He encountered the blind beggar so that he could heal him of his blindness. That's the easy part. There's so much more to it. I want us to see that today. Jesus healed this blind beggar for three specific reasons. The first one is this. He healed this blind beggar because he had a point to make. He had a point to make. I love it when Jesus makes a point. Because when he makes a point, he really makes it. Verses 1 through 3 tell us of this point. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus is making an important theological point here today that so many people miss. I want you to write this down. He is making a point. He doesn't want his disciples to miss this point. He is teaching them first in this point that God allows everything to happen. God allows everything to happen. He is in sovereign control of all things. Many doubt this truth. Many want to argue this truth. Many want to limit God in his sovereignty. I will say this to you once again. He is either sovereign over all or he's not sovereign at all. Because sovereign in itself means this. He is in complete control of everything. That means this. Listen to me. He either causes or allows every single thing to happen. And he wants his disciples to understand this. He wants this blind beggar to understand this. You say, well, I don't know that I really believe that. I know some of you live as if you don't really believe that. I would agree with you. But let's just inquire of Brother Job. 
if you would, in the Old Testament. Let's take the account of Job and let's analyze that account for just a moment. We can see this. God was in complete sovereign control over every single aspect of Job's life. Did you know this? He was sovereignly in control of every blessing that Job received. Before his suffering and his restoration after his suffering. Nothing happened, good or bad, without God's express consent and approval. And so we must look at the scriptures to find out what we really believe about God. And we should believe about God what the Bible tells us to believe about God. This is where most people commit a grave error. They begin to interject their own feelings. Well, I feel as if God is in control of the good things and not necessarily in control of the bad things. And that's why you only praise Him when things are going good. And you never praise Him when things are going bad or things have become difficult. God allows everything to happen. I want you to understand that today. The good things in your life. Get on your face and say, Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for those blessings that you give to me. I know that they come from your sovereign hand or they would not have come into my life. It's easy for us to do that, isn't it, in seasons of blessing? It's easy for us in seasons of blessing to come to church and to lift our hands and and to kneel and to praise and to thank Him for what He's doing for us because we like it. But not only is God in control of the good things in this life, He's in full control of the sufferings and the trials that you face. And you better be thankful for that. You better be thankful for that. He's in control of both. The good things, the blessings, the suffering and the trials. I know every time we face a suffering, the question comes up. Pastor, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, that shouldn't be our question at all. You know what our question ought to be? Our question ought to be, why do good things happen to bad people? Because Scripture tells us this, that we are all sinners, condemned already. And we deserve nothing good from God. And everything that we have received from God is according to His grace in Christ. Even the lost person who does not acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior rests under the general common grace of God. They woke up this morning in the goodness of God. Let them take a breath. They woke up this morning in the goodness of God made sure that they had shelter and clothing and food. Why do good things happen to bad people? I can tell you this because God is a God of abundant grace. He's a God of abundant grace. And He should be praised as such. In the good times and in the bad times. In fact, Job, as I've already pointed to, gives us a great example of this in Job chapter 1, verse 21. In the midst of his suffering... And this was just the beginning of his sufferings. They increased throughout the account. He says this in verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And then he says this. He doesn't say, I'm angry with God for taking everything away from me. He knew that it all came from God. He gives and he takes away. He says, may the name of the Lord be praised. Oh, I would to God that I would have such faith. To trust in God to that magnitude. Naked I came into the earth. Naked I will depart. Everything that I have is from God. And even if He takes it all away, He's still worthy of praise. Oh, we sing songs in church and they're easy to sing. You are worthy. You are worthy when things are going right. What about when your marriage is falling apart? Your child is rebellious. Or things at work are going the way that you think they ought to go. Is He still worthy of our praise? Of course He is. His worth is not dependent upon what we go through. Let us not forget that. That God allows everything to happen. Job 13, as Job's suffering increased, 
even all the more. And you know why it increased? Because Satan petitioned God once again, and God said, you can do this, but you can't do that, sovereignly in control of everything. And as his suffering increased, and it looked very dark and very bleak for Job, he comes to this conclusion, though he slay me, talking about God, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Where is that attitude in the hearts and the minds and the lives of so-called Christian God followers in our culture? Oh, we love God when everything's going right. But we get angry with God when everything goes opposite of the way that we think it ought to, ought to go. And what we ought to do, we ought to say, naked I came into this earth, naked I shall leave. Anything that I get from God while I am here is all of His grace. He is worthy of my praise. And though He slay me, yet will I hope in Him. Oh, what a lesson He's giving to His disciples today who said, Who's, whose fault is this, Jesus? Whose fault? Is it the man? Is it his sin? Or is it the sin of his family? And Jesus is teaching him a lesson on the sovereignty of God. God is in control of this situation completely. God has allowed this to happen. And God is worthy of praise. He also teaches them this lesson in this portion of this text. Not only does God allow everything to happen, God always has a reason. You say, well, I don't always see it. He doesn't have to tell you what that reason is. He does not have to tell you what that reason is. If He wants you to know, He will make that known. And if He doesn't, you will never know. But you can know this, no matter what you face, He is worthy of praise. God always has a reason. Here's the comfort that we can have knowing this. He always has a reason. And one of those reasons is to reveal His will. You don't have to know the specifics. But I can tell you this, what you're going through right now is because God willed it, or you wouldn't be going through it. You say, well, pastor, that, that just doesn't seem right. Really? You should take that up with he who does no wrong. Because you told me you believed that he's sovereign. And if he's sovereign, he is sovereign over all things. And if you're going through a difficult time, He has allowed you to go through this difficult time so that your faith will be tested. Why? He wants you to grow and He wants you to mature in Christ. And James says to count it all joy when you face trials of all kinds. Why? Because He is maturing you in your faith. Some of you can't figure this out. You wonder, why do I have to keep going through the same trial? Because you have yet to praise Him in the midst of it. You have yet to praise Him in the midst of it. You keep being tested over and over and over again, and you keep failing. Instead of saying, naked I came into this earth, naked I shall leave this earth, wherever I find myself in God's plan, I am content with God's plan, He will be praised. Praise the Lord. But you keep going through the same trial and test over and over again. Because you never come to that place where you say, though He slay me. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. God has a reason. His reason is to reveal his will. It is his will. Why? Because what you're going through today may be something that helps someone else tomorrow. What you're suffering from right now may be that thing that God uses for the greatest ministry that he uses for his glory in your life later on down the road. He is writing this story, not you. He is writing it according to His will, revealing His will the whole time. God is always in control, and He always has a reason to reveal His will and to display His glory. It wasn't because of this man's sin. It wasn't because of his parents' sin. What did He say? It was for the purpose and the glory of God. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. I promise you, the work of God desires glory. And so that God could be glorified, this man was born blind so that he could be healed by Jesus at this time. It wasn't because of his sin. It wasn't because of the sins of his forefathers. Everybody wants to be the victim in our society, right? That's because of something I did. It's because of something that someone did to me. 
No, it may be that God allowed this in your life for His glory, for His purpose, for His kingdom, so that others would praise Him, so that you would praise Him. Do you know this for the believer? Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we all know it. But many times we don't look at all the things around it. If you look at the rest of chapter 8 in its context, you'll see that this has to do with a lot of suffering and groaning. In agony while you suffer. And not even knowing what words to pray. And the Spirit interceding on your behalf because you don't even have the words. Have you been in that trial? I don't even know what to say to God. That's okay. Spirit's interceding on your behalf. Know what 8.28 says. That in all things God works for the good. To those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Believer, what a great promise you have from the Word of God. You can know this, that no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are facing, He's working it for the good. I know, you're like me. It doesn't seem good. He didn't say it's going to be good. He says He's working it for the good. Aren't you thankful that He takes... The bad things, the struggles, the trials, the persecutions, the torture of this life. Aren't you thankful that He takes those things and He works them miraculously for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose? What a picture He is creating for His disciples to see. And God always has a reason. And that reason is always bigger than our own understanding, our own human intellect. It's His plan. God always has a reason. I know we live in a world that doesn't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that God has a reason for my loss. In Christ, every loss that you face will be gain in the end. That's what He's telling you. He's working all things for the good. And what is the good? The glory of God the Father. Jesus was making the point. That no matter the situation we may face in life, no matter the situation, no matter what it looks like, good, bad, and indifferent, God is in control of every situation and He is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise no matter where you find yourself in life. What a lesson to the disciples. What a lesson to this blind beggar to see that truth, that theological nugget poured out right there in that town. But there's more to this. Jesus had a point to make. Well, the reason that he healed this blind man is that he had a point to make. But the second thing is this. Jesus healed this blind beggar because he had a passion to accomplish the Father's work. He had a passion to accomplish the Father's work. Look at Jesus here in what he says, verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He knew that this, that there was going to be a time, and he's going to promise in John chapter 14, that the Holy Spirit is going to come at Pentecost, and he's going to indwell the true followers of Christ, empowering them to be light as he was light in the darkness. But he knew that there would be a time of darkness where they would flee and they would run for their lives and even deny that they ever knew him. And he's saying, while I'm here, I have things to do. I have a work to do, and that work is the work of the Father. Jesus was driven by a passion, an obedient passion, to do the works of the Father, the works that the Father had determined that He was to do while He was on this earth. Oh, what a testimony we see in John's Gospel already of that. In chapter 4, we saw it. In chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said this when we were there. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. He said, man, that's my sustenance. My food. This is what I thrive on. I thrive on doing the will of God. John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus said this, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just For I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. Oh, what a picture of the first and the second persons of the Trinity distinctly working for the glory of the triune God. Verse 38 of John chapter 6. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Jesus was passionate about accomplishing the works of the Father. 
Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this about him in verse 8. It says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. And obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Look at his passionate obedience. Oh, we hear all kinds of talk about the passion of Christ. You know what the passion of Christ was? To obediently do the will of the Father. Whatever that meant. Even obediently laying down his life on a cross for sinners like you and me. It says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why did Jesus do the things that he did passionately? For the glory of God the Father. He was driven by this passion. And I want us to see specifics about these works. These works were predestined works of grace. They were predestined works of grace. Everybody wants to freak out because you use the word predestined. That means this, that God already preordained these things to happen. They were preordained by the Father for the Son. John chapter 5, verse 36, watch what he says. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. The Father predetermined the work that would be done through the Son as He was here on this earth. I want you to see that in light of Him healing this blind beggar. The healing of this blind beggar was prescribed in eternity past before the foundations of the earth by God. And it is at this appointed time that we are looking at here in John chapter 9 where those things came to fruition. Those things came to pass. This was a preordained, predestined work of grace. Aren't you thankful that God does still predestined works of grace in people's lives? I can tell you this right now. I'm standing here today saved. Not because I did anything, but because of a predestined work of grace. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for me according to the will of the Father. And the Father determined that in eternity past before I was ever on this earth. And Jesus fulfilled the works of the Father. These preordained, predetermined works of grace. They were predetermined by God's sovereign will and His Wise counsel. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. God made known the mystery of his will and his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Jesus is letting them see this. He's letting you see this today. That he came to this earth to do the predetermined Sovereign work of God. That everything, everything works for His purpose and His good pleasure. We know Scripture tells us that His will, and Isaiah says that it will not be thwarted. That He has a plan that we oftentimes cannot see, but we cannot deny. And this plan began before Christ's earthly ministry began because Christ testifies to that. He's doing the works the Father gave him to do. Not one more, not one less. He was here doing those predetermined works. This was no accident. This was not happenstance. It wasn't by chance. Christ's whole earthly ministry was predestined in accordance with the wise counsel and will and pleasure of of a triune God. From His birth, to His miracles, to His sacrifice, to His death. What? You mean it was the Father's will? Yeah, that's what Isaiah says. It was the Father's will to crush Him. You say, well, I can't wrap my brain around that. You never will. His ways are not our ways. Who can know His thoughts? Not us. Not fully. We can only see what He has revealed to us. The secret things belong to Him. The things that are revealed belong to us. 
And if it's a secret thing, we don't know, we don't understand it. We do know this, that Christ's whole earthly ministry, according to what He said, His whole earthly ministry was predestined in accordance with the wise counsel of God. His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, even His return is already predetermined. Jesus said that when He was here. No man knows, only the Father. For all you people who don't believe in a God who predestines things, even the return of Christ is already laid out. It's going to happen at the exact time that God has already prescribed that it's going to happen. He said, what does this have to do with the blind beggar that Jesus came in contact with? I want you to see this is no accident. Jesus is fulfilling the predestined works of grace that God sent him to this earth to do. All of these works, predetermined, predestined by God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was chosen before the foundations of the world to do exactly what He did. And it has been revealed to you in these last times. Aren't you thankful that He revealed to you the predestined work of God to save you? Oh, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I was just minding my own business thinking that I had the tiger by the tail, right? I was just living life in my sin. And God sovereignly called me out of darkness and into light according to His predetermined, predestined will and purpose in Christ. Jesus is letting them know this. I'm not here by accident. Well, is it His sin? Or is it His parents' sin? No. It's because this is a preordained work of grace that I am here to do. I am thankful for His preordained works of grace because without them I would still be destined for hell. It was a predestined work of grace, but we also see in this that it is a purposeful work of grace. The works of God were predestined works of grace. Jesus said, I came to do the works of God. While I'm here, I'm going to be the light of the world. I'm going to do those predestined works of grace, but I'm also going to do the purposeful works of grace. These were not afterthoughts or coincidences, accidents. Christ was living out the purposes that the Father had for him. Showing obedience to the Father's will. Verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Well, he was serious about doing the will of the Father and being obedient to what the Father had laid out for him to do. That was his purpose. Doing what the Father decreed had to be done. And he did it. Shining his light into the darkness. He showed obedience to the Father's will, but He shined His light into the darkness. We talk about that a lot here. Because He is continuing to shine His light through those of us who know Him into the darkness. That's the whole point of His church. That's why we exist. To do the purposes of God. To do the preordained works that He has for us. How do we know that He has preordained work for us? Because He says this, that He has works which He prepared in advance for us to do. If you don't like the word preordained or predestined, just call them pre-in-advance works for us to do. It's just a lot easier to say they are preordained. Because in eternity past, I can promise you this, every good work that I have ever done in Christ was predetermined and predestined and preordained. In fact, apart from Him, I can do nothing. Jesus was showing them as He shined His light into the darkness, there's purpose behind the works of His grace. And that purpose is the preordained plan of God the Father to do His will. As the light of the world, we see that term again. Very popular term in John. John loves to use the term light. Because it is parallel to truth and righteousness. But as the light of the world, here we see that term being used again. We know that that term was borrowed from the Old Testament. There in the Exodus, 
where God would, by fire, lead His people where He desired them by His will and His sovereign plan to go. Jesus is saying, I'm shining the light to lead people into God's sovereign plan. Look how He shined the light into the life of this blind beggar to lead him into a plan that he knew not of. And then he uses this instance to teach his disciples a valuable lesson. He brought light to the blind man physically. But it's Christ, the light of the world, who brings light to our spiritual darkness, to our spiritual blindness. Where would you be without the light of Christ? I assure you of this, as Scripture confirms, you would still be in the blindness and the darkness and the death of your sin. But it is Christ, the light of the world, who opens our eyes spiritually to see the truth that we are lost sinners. We are desperate without Him, and we are in need of His redemption and His sacrifice in our lives. Jesus was passionately accomplishing the Father's predestined and purposeful works of grace while He was on the earth. And He used this blind beggar, one of those works, to teach this lesson to the beggar, to the disciples, to those who have heard it throughout the ages, and here we are 2,000 years later learning it and seeing it again. He had a passion to accomplish the Father's works. Jesus healed the blind beggar due to this passion. Due to this passion to accomplish what He came to do. Thirdly, Jesus healed this blind beggar Because he had a prophecy to fulfill. Because he had a prophecy to fulfill. He had a point to make. He had a passion to accomplish the Father's work. But he had a prophecy to fulfill. In fact, he fulfilled many prophecies. But he's specifically fulfilling a prophecy here by healing a blind man. Let me show you what the psalmist says. The psalmist says this in Psalm 146. About Jesus, it says, The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Jesus was confirming the truth of the Word of God and the prophecies that the Word of God contains by healing a blind man. The fact that the Messiah would give sight to the blind is proof that Jesus is who He's been saying that He is. He is the Christ. Why did John say that he recorded these signs so that you would believe that he is the Christ? The psalmist knew that the Lord gives sight to the blind. Isaiah chapter 35. As we see Isaiah making a prophecy here, he says in verse 4, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come and He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. And He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. You remember just a few chapters back where he healed the invalid who was there for nearly 40 years, and he healed him, and he said, take up your mat, and he took up his mat, and I promise you, he leaped all the way home. He said he'll heal the lame, and they'll leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert, again pointing to the living water, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 says this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will take hold of your hand, and I will keep you, and will make you to be my covenant for the people, and a light for the Gentiles. Verse 7, to open eyes that are blind, and to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. These are all prophecies concerning the Christ. When the Christ came, what did He do? He healed the blind. Why? To fulfill the prophecies. To fulfill the prophecies that the psalmist recorded, that Isaiah had spoken. To confirm God's Word, that He truly is the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, who came to this earth. Just as John has said in chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. Here the word is Logos, Jesus Christ dwelling among us, Emmanuel, God with us, healing the blind. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
This is Jesus speaking because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's quoting Isaiah 61 here, to restore sight to the blind. Well, it's no accident that Jesus healed a blind man here. I told you it was predestined, predetermined works of God. And he did this, and he did this to confirm God's holy word. Not only did he do it to confirm God's word, in healing this blind man, he was also revealing his identity. He did this again, revealing Jesus' true identity. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded, and he replied, the man they call Jesus. Made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. Then I could see. He was revealing who he truly is. Who healed you, they asked. The man named Jesus. Why is that important? Because Jesus came doing exactly what the Scriptures said that He was going to do. The Scriptures didn't say He was going to heal the blind and Jesus came doing other things. He came doing exactly what Scripture said that He was going to do. Why? To validate that He truly is the Christ. In fact, Matthew chapter 11. We see this. It says in 11 verse 2, When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, He sent his disciples to ask him. This is John the Baptist. He's in prison. He's going to be beheaded. And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come? That's a very interesting term in the Greek. It means the coming one. He's talking about the Messiah. He was asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? Know this, John was was and had been preparing the way for the Lord. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And he sends message to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, are you the coming one? Should we look for someone else? Jesus didn't just say, yeah, I'm him. Jesus answered in a way that he knew John would know. Because he knew John knew the Holy Scriptures. He knew that he knew the Word. Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. Isn't that what Isaiah said? The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus confirmed his identity by the things that he did. Not just the words that he spoke. Pay attention to that, Christian. He proved who he was by the things that he did, not just the words that he spoke. He said, go tell him this is what I'm doing. When I assure you of this, John the Baptist leaped there in that jail cell. He is the coming one. He is the Messiah. He is doing exactly what the Scriptures said that he was going to do. Jesus was revealing his true identity by healing this blind man. This was no accident, afterthought. It was a preordained act of God and work of God. To provide evidence that Jesus truly is who Scripture says that He is. And He truly came to do what Scripture says that He came to do. Jesus heals this blind beggar to fulfill a prophecy. So Jesus healed the blind beggar. And I told you, I don't want you to miss the lesson for the miracle. He healed the blind beggar because He had a point to make. And his point was that God allows everything to happen. Trust in His sovereignty. Rest in His sovereignty. As Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which we rest our heads. I don't know how you can go to sleep at night in this chaotic world without resting in the sovereignty of God. He allows everything to happen. God always has a reason. Jesus had a point to make, but not only did He have a point to make, He had a passion to accomplish the Father's will. Jesus came to accomplish the Father's will. All of it. Not one thing was left undone. From the very statements on the cross that He made, that were prophesied, He did exactly 
exactly in accordance with the will of the Father. He was obedient because he was passionate about accomplishing the will of the Father, teaching that to his disciples who would then carry on following the will of God. And then we see that he had a prophecy to fulfill. He had a prophecy to fulfill, confirming God's word. There are so many prophecies in Scripture that point to Christ that the scholars argue over just how many there are. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies that point to Christ and Jesus Christ came fulfilling everyone according to the word of God. Those who he, that he hasn't yet fulfilled, he will fulfill at his second coming. But all of the works of God that the Father preordained the Son to do will be accomplished, revealing that he truly is the chosen one, the Messiah. The Savior who came to rescue sinners like you and sinners like me. I need no more proof. Jesus has given enough proof. He didn't give proof in the fact that He healed a blind man. That was just a part of the proof. That was just one section of the proof. Over and over and over again, He proved that what He came to do was consistent with what the Scripture said that the Savior would do and who He would be and the message that He would preach. So now that we know, now that we can see hopefully a little more clearly, why Jesus healed this blind beggar. Let's ask this question. Right, because we could dismiss now and you could learn a great lesson on Jesus healing a blind beggar and there was a purpose to it. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? What lesson can we gather from this? I want you to pay attention to this as we prepare to close. I want you to know this first and foremost, that Jesus is still doing the same thing today. He's still doing the same thing today. He is still allowing people to go through things so that He can make a point to them. To go through trials, to go through suffering, even to go through pain. Perhaps today you're one of these people who you're going through those things, not so that you can become angry with God, but so that you can learn to praise Him. That you can learn to praise Him even in the midst of your difficulty and your darkness and your trial. Perhaps you're one of these people. And today He is teaching you that there is nothing that happens unless He allows it to happen. And there is a reason. That reason is so that you can praise Him and so that you can glorify Him in the midst of your storm. I'll never forget, I had a dear lady in my church in Arkansas that I pastored there. And her name was Janet. And she had cancer. It started as most cancer starts. It was small and they thought, well, we can beat this and we can cure this and we can heal this. And so all the doctors with all their wisdom began to treat it. And it seemed for years, every time she would go back, no matter what they did, it was always worse. She would think that she would take one step forward, but she was really taking three steps back every time. I don't tell you this to tell you a tragic story. I tell you this because... This particular woman gave me so much encouragement in learning about the purpose and the reason for trials. I would go to visit her in the hospital. I knew that she had a bad report and she was hospitalized. I would go to visit her in the hospital and I would walk in the door praying, Lord, give me the words to say. I don't know what to say. This is hard. Couldn't you have called someone else to do this? Never that I walk out of that room not being encouraged by that woman who was dying, who was facing death every single time I went to visit her with a smile on her face. She would say, I'm here again. Yes, ma'am, you are. I'm sorry for your report. Oh, don't be sorry for me. God has me here. I got to share the gospel with two nurses yesterday. God has me here for a purpose and until His sovereign purpose is done with my life, He's going to arrange me wherever He wants me for His glory. I would leave every time. Lord, let me be like that woman. Let me be like that woman who says, naked I came into this earth, and naked I shall leave while I'm here. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to do those works that He preordained for me to do, even if it is to suffer for His name's sake as He suffered for me. 
Perhaps you're that person suffering today. You've been upset with God. My prayer today is that God would graciously open your eyes today. He would open your eyes to the truth. And the truth is that perhaps it's not because you did anything wrong or your parents did anything wrong. Perhaps it's because of this day right here. And God is going to show you that He has allowed you to go through all of these things so that you can see Him clearly today. So that you can surrender to Him and His will for your life. Because Jesus is still doing the same thing. Jesus is still accomplishing the providential work of the Father. How is He doing it now? He's doing it through the church as we proclaim the Gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we minister and serve others, as we love the hurting and care for the dying. He's still opening the eyes of the blinded sinners with the Gospel that we preach. Are you being driven by your passion? Are you being driven by your passion? To accomplish the works of God as Jesus gives us our example here in this text. And did you know this? Jesus is still opening the eyes of the blind today. Perhaps today you are blind. I'm not talking about physically blind. Oh, he could do that with just the spoken word. He created the whole earth by his word. But perhaps today you are spiritually blind. And perhaps today Jesus would meet you in your blindness, just as He did this blind beggar. Because aren't we all really just blind beggars without Jesus Christ? Lost and in our darkness. Not knowing where we are going. Losing our way. Following the darkness. But it is in Christ that our spiritual blindness is lifted. It is in Christ He allows our unbelieving hearts to believe, our unseeing eyes to see, our deaf ears to hear. Perhaps today you would hear the truth that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago died on a cross to rescue you from your sin. That you are a sinner and you are in need of Him to open your eyes to the truth. And the truth is that apart from Jesus Christ, you are destined for the wrath of God and the judgment of God in hell. But it is in Christ, in Christ alone, that He will awaken you today. That He will open your eyes and allow you to believe and to trust in Him. To repent of your sin and to cry out to Him and Him alone to save you today. The scripture is true. And it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Would you cry out to Jesus today, blind beggar, sinner, who is destined for hell? Would you cry out to Jesus in desperation today that He would save your wicked soul? And in crying out to Him, I assure you of this. You can go home seeing For the first time. You can go home seeing spiritually for the first time. Go home seeing today. As Jesus opens your eyes to believe and to trust in Him. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. I pray for those who are blind as I once was. God, that today, at this moment, Lord, if it be Your will, you would open their eyes to see the truth right now. That you would lavish your grace and your mercy upon them. That you would give them faith to believe and to repent of their sin and to turn to you and you alone. And Lord, we know this, that you are faithful to save all who call on your name. May they call on your name desperately this morning, believing and trusting in you as Lord and Savior. And may you be glorified for the salvation and the forgiveness of sin and the eternal life that you give them today. May they go home seeing, telling everyone that the one they called Jesus has healed them from their sin, freed them from the judgment that is to come, and has granted them eternal life in Him. We give you praise for who you are. Holy Spirit, we yield to you as you move and as you change lives now for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness. Thank you.